Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Now, today we are talking in the suspense, thriller, organized crime all that sounds like politics, no. And uh, <laughs> so we've got a Canadian author who's uh, got a newer book out called A Web of Deceit, um, Gary McGugan. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to our conversation. Well, we'll see if you're happy at the end. <laughs> you never know. Um, so it looks like you've had quite the history. It looks like you were a business person. You were a guy that's a consultant, business leader, and you've done all sorts of jobs. Um, what made you get into writing? Well, uh, yeah, I had a I had a wonderful career. I'm I'm very grateful for all the opportunities that I had to work with some excellent corporations and accumulate some great experiences. And uh, when I retired, uh, exactly uh, 13 years ago right now, as a matter of fact, I retired. And uh, at that stage, uh, a colleague of mine and a, a longtime friend uh, decided that uh, what we would like to try to do is give back to uh, folks that were uh, emerging in the uh, business world some of the, the benefit of some of the insights that we've been able to gain over the years. So uh, we co-authored uh, actually a work of nonfiction to start out, and uh, it was a book called Deeds Selling Solutions, and we used that as the foundation for our consulting business, which uh, we operated for 10 years. And uh, basically from that, um, 
learned that while writing is, of course, demanding and has lots of challenges with it, um, my lifelong interest in writing uh, was actually uh, kindled more by that experience, and I, I started to think about the opportunity to write fiction. And uh, for three or four years, thought about it and started working, and now I've actually uh, published five novels and having a great time and working on the sixth. Well, you know, but um, coming from, because uh, a lot of writers have, have, are people that have written their whole life, and so they get comfortable in, in their own skin and they get comfortable with being able to write and not worry about feedback and, start, you know, this whole social media world. Um, but for someone like yourself, when did you feel enough confidence or what was it that gave you that confidence to be able to publish a book and kind of go, well, here it is? Well, I think I've always had an interest in reading, and I think anyone who has an interest in reading uh, has an interest in writing on some level. And um, I think throughout my business career, whether I was writing a business letter or working on some ad copy or uh, preparing a presentation, whatever the, the task that I happened to be involved with that uh, involved working with words, I always took a lot of pride. And uh, in so doing, I think I honed writing skills as a business person so that uh, when it came time to write, I did have a, a good level of basic confidence. And I'm also the sort of an individual that believes that life is a continuous learning process. So um, I'm very happy to, to uh, welcome feedback and uh, have tried to move up the learning curve of effective writing as, as quickly and as effectively as I can. Well, what's, what's, what do you consider yourself as? Like what kind of writer, if someone picks up one of your books, um, what are they getting? Well, I hope that they feel that they're getting very entertaining suspense stories. Um, I always write with an element of crime, and I almost always write with a, a fairly uh, heavy component of the corporate life built in as well. Uh, that started from the, the old adage that we should write what we know about, and uh, I think I understand and have lived the corporate life as, as well as anybody. So I try to incorporate uh, uh, a fair amount of what I like to think of as realism into the story so that although it is fiction and the plots are, are pure fiction, they're purely the product of my wild imagination, uh, they do feel that they, um, if not are real, could be real. Do you find that your business career with uh, deadlines and such have, has made you a more uh, efficient storyteller? I think it's made me a for, more efficient writer. Um, I don't know if it's made me a more efficient storyteller, but um, as a writer, I, I think I have um, a fair amount of discipline, which I think is a characteristic that a, a good writer needs. Um, I like to write virtually every day for three hours, basically my nine to nine to 12 window every, every morning is writing. And um, when we set aside that time, we do it uh, as a matter of discipline and we, we keep forging forward. Uh, it's remarkable how many words we can get down. 
Wow, you know, I can't write that way. I, I've tried that several times, but every time I set up a time and I sit down, I'm just not in the mood. Um, so that's that's crazy, because I find that I block a lot of times, or I'm, if I'm not in the mood, the writing's not going to be good. So I kind of will sit down, then I end up not writing. <laughs> and and I know a lot of people that... that, that approach it that way as well, that have a, have a challenge. Um, I think that's one of the things that does carry over from the business career. It's, uh, we, we, set up, we set aside a time to do things and, and proceed to do it. Um, I, also, I also have another habit that uh, some writers may or may not have, but I, I love to walk. And um, I try to get out uh, every day uh, that, that uh, the weather allows me to get out. And uh, I like to walk for about one and a half to two hours at a fairly brisk pace. And um, basically, I don't use a headset or listen to music or anything like that. I, I just think during that period of time. So typically, when I go out uh, this afternoon, I'll be working on, in my brain, tomorrow's writing. And thinking about what challenges I have to overcome in the story, the technical issues that I may have to deal with, uh, uh, plot adjustments, or, or purely new copy. And as a result, um, when I when I get up the, the following morning and I'm I'm ready to go, I I actually feel ready to go because I I kind of thought it all out previously, and and now I really just have to put the words to paper. So, so you're you're writing about what you know about. So you've got the experience. Does that mean you are a criminal in the corporate world? <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> Just I I thought I check right because you were... won't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, this is where I have to revoke that fiction plea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, I uh, I have um, been in 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 business uh, from a perspective where. Uh, we get to see um, a lot of the insides of of corporations uh, as they were customers of ours. About 21 years of my career was involved in the world of of commercial finance, and we lent money to corporations, and we actually lent to businesses of all size. We have. Lines of credit as low as a hundred thousand, and the largest one that I worked on was one hundred and fifty million. So we have we covered that gamut. And as one works on those kinds of uh, uh, sort of intimate details about companies, the financial statements and the, the the backgrounds that one has to look at to make a decision on granting credit, it is actually quite surprising how much. Uh, one can learn about um, the kind of people that they're dealing with or proposing to deal with. And uh, again, I treated that as a as an education and a wonderful opportunity to learn. So some of the insights that I get from the from the criminal side, um, while I may not have had a direct involvement with, um, was able to sort of piece together from bits and pieces of information that we would accumulate. So what do you think, you know, being in the corporate world, and now you're writing these suspense thrillers, um, in general, what do people get wrong about the corporate world? So what do you, and I mean this in, so people like me or David or people just in the regular world who are not part of it, 
um, we probably have some sort of idea what we think of corporations. You know, there's a general population thought on corporations. What do you think we get wrong? Well, I think um, one of one of the one of the activities that I really enjoy doing is is going out to uh, signing events, and I I do a lot of work with bookstores like Chapters and Indigo, and and get to meet a lot of their customers that way. And it's interesting when I when I'm talking with some of these folks, and uh, of course they ask me what the book's about and that sort of thing. I give a little bit of a, a description and. It's surprising how many people will reply, "Ooh, business." No, I, you know, I get enough of that at work. I don't want, I don't want any of that stuff. <laughs> and and of course, what they're visualizing is the sort of mundane uh, water cooler talk and and the rumors, the innuendo, a lot of the political stuff that goes on in corporations, and and they're presuming that. It's that kind of boring stuff that uh, that I'm going to deal with in the book, and and of course I try to make sure that nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, I think I think the way I'm writing these stories, I write it from the, the the most senior levels of the organization and from the from the perspectives of what goes on and what they call the C-suite, the the, the executive suite, and. Uh, at that level, there is actually a fundamentally different world and a fundamentally different ecosystem than the great majority of people would relate to in when they can when they actually think about business and corporations. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, so, so let's take your your newest book, A Web of Deceit. Um, so, the title itself kind of sets it up, I, I imagine. Um, so your main characters in there, um, I, I see you've got um, a fugitive, uh, Howard Knight, and then you've got the CEO, uh, Suzanne Simpson, I believe this. Um, how much of yourself, which, which one of those characters are you? Oh, I hope uh, neither one are me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure... <laughs> I, it's just like I, I mean when a, when a writer writes, a lot of times they put some of themselves into that character, right? When in a fiction, um, and I just wonder if do you do that or are they completely made up? I I like to think that I have uh, created a point of view for uh, each of the characters, and and I would add a third one into the to the uh, story, a web of deceit, uh, Fidelia Morales as well. She is a a major character. So I have three of them there. And I, I do my best to create a very distinct uh, point of view for each of those three. Um, I would like to think that um, none of them actually resemble me, although obviously small things must, must, must creep their way in, but they don't, I don't do that consciously. And I do try to create very unique and, and distinct characters. Uh, uh, Suzanne Simpson, for an example, is a, uh, a chief executive officer, as you say, who actually was born in Canada, grew up in Quebec, and, and made her business career in the U.S. So uh, that in itself is quite an interesting profile and, and brings with it uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of great things that we can do. 
uh, doesn't fit my job description at all. Uh, Howard Knight, and he's a fugitive, as you say, but uh, the connection to uh, Multima Corporation, where Suzanne Simpson is the CEO, is that uh, Howard Knight, uh, prior to going on the run, was actually a director of that corporation. And um, he made a big mistake, had to escape, and uh, he was on the run from uh, the organization and uh, and uh, uh, some other um, some other elements, and then Fidelia Morales, who is the the third character that I mentioned, is a is a very interesting woman who uh, grew up in in Puerto Rico, uh, won a scholarship to uh, Columbia University in New York. Uh, graduated with distinction and uh, after a few years of practicing law, uh, became disenchanted and uh, moved to the prostitution business uh, where she got tied up in the organization. And uh, when we catch up with her in a web of deceit, she is actually the first woman to head the organization. So I think of these as three rather fascinating characters and, and try to build a good story around that. Strong female characters. And I tend to do the same in my fiction. How do you get into the mind of, of your female characters? I think one of the things that I have always tried to do uh, throughout my business career is uh, promote the interests of women. Um, several women that reported to me at various times in the year, in the years uh, have ended up in, in senior roles, vice presidents, uh, complete business leaders, CEO or president. Um, and I have always considered that to be a, a little bit of a challenge. When I entered the business world, uh, women were very seldom considered uh, valuable management assets. I think that would be a very fair comment to make. They were good workers. They had a role. They made great secretaries and clerks, but uh, very few business people considered uh, women for management roles. Now, that's changed dramatically in the, in the last 50 years, of course. But I, I think I was among the early promoters of uh, trying to to help women advance their careers. And, and by being a mentor to uh, several women in United States, Canada, Europe, um, it gave me a great opportunity to better understand uh, the way they think about a lot of things. So when I have these events come along or these incidents come along, I try to uh, transpose and think back to some of those conversations that we had and, and what kinds of reactions they might have. And uh, usually I get it pretty, pretty close. Not always, but usually. And, and I, I attribute that, that, you know, that sort of lifelong promotion of women as, as uh, uh, you know, the main, main factor in being able to do that. So where do, where do your characters come from then? Like where, where is it that um, you find them? Is this like uh, where you're, are you at a coffee shop and you see someone and kind of pick up on their vibe? Or are you, uh, are you like David, you hear voices in your head? Um, like like they, where do they actually come from? Uh, they come from these long walks. Uh, 
when I when I need to develop a character, I actually develop those characters for the most part during those long walks. Uh, what co sort of attributes do they probably need to be interesting? Um, how are we going to be able to create the conflict? Uh, where will be their redeeming values and so on? Um, and uh, I, I try to create a create a picture of that individual in my mind, and uh, um, by the time it's, it's, it's the, the time to start writing, uh, I can usually envisage pretty clearly um, what that person looks like, uh, how they talk, what, uh, what their ideas are, and, and what values are, they have or don't have. Speaking of uh, hearing voices, <laughs> do you have, when you write, do you have an inner monologue going on in your mind? Because uh, some, some people have this when they write or when they read. Others see images and symbols and, and kind of transfer that to the page. Uh, do, do you have a specific way that, um, that, you, uh, that you do that? Can you hear the voices as you're uh, or, or they hear the voices of the characters as uh, you're, you're writing? Yeah, I would say I lean more towards hearing the voices rather than visualizing. Um, when I'm out doing those walks, uh, I talk to myself and uh, have, have very good conversations. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I try out different lines. I try out different voices. I uh, try different ways of talking so that... Um, as I say, it does create a it does create a, a visual picture for me, but but I, I would say it comes primarily from from listening to the voices. Hmm, that's interesting. So now now the actual story itself, um, what's the basic premises premise of a web of deceit? Well, the basic premise is the the new newly uh, appointed, self-appointed head of the organization um, has decided that she is going to remake the organization for a number of reasons. Uh, the story takes place right at the start of the, the pandemic in, in uh, uh, the beginning of 2020. So, uh, first of all, their, their very lucrative prostitution business was being negatively impacted as uh, they weren't getting as many visitors and as much revenue as, because people were fearful. Um, as a woman, she had some, some, I wouldn't say reservations, but perhaps a little bit of guilt about the way that um, some of the women had been treated and um, less voluntarily um, recruited into the organization. So I, I think there's a little bit of that underlying guilt. And the other component was that she, she was also a very good learner. And over the years, she had picked up a great deal of knowledge about finance, how it worked, how the stock markets worked, where there may be some vulnerable points, and she surrounded herself with some people who could help her penetrate those vulnerable points. And she saw that as a very uh, risk, not risk-free, but uh, risk-adverse way of generating hundreds of millions of dollars. So 
the, 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 the story starts out with her looking from that perspective. At the same time, we have Multima Corporation, unfortunately subjected to some legal issues related to money laundering and connected to someone in the Justice Department of the United States who is very close to the White House. And um, we have a story, un a story rattling out from there at the same time as the organization is looking for a great way to make some new revenue. And Howard Knight, who is trying to avoid it all, becomes mixed up in both of those components. So now, do you, with your characters in that, do you, do you also write, like, how do I say, um, the um, things that go on between the characters as a character itself? So let's say, you know, fate and misfortune and opportunity is what you say kind of is what. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Happens in the story, you use that. Um, right. Are they characters in themselves? I don't write them to be characters, but clearly they have... A role to play and um, I think that the misfortune um, is fairly 
easy to identify, and I think the opportunity is very is fairly easy to identify. Now, um, in your locations, what kind of settings do you use for a show? Uh, show a book like Web of Deceit. Well, in all my stories, um, I have a fairly international flavor to all of them uh, because that's the world that I the world that I lived in. And uh, if it wasn't for COVID, would continue to continue to be living in. Uh, I really think of myself as a global citizen, and uh, I've had the good opportunity to visit 42 uh, different countries. And um, one of the exercises that I did really in COVID-19 when I couldn't travel anymore was I did a, a compilation of the number of cities that I visited over that period of time as well. And, and I had the opportunity to visit over 650 cities as well. So um, I think of the story taking place on a global basis. And uh, in the Web of Deceit, for example, we have uh, Howard Knight uh, uh, starting out in uh, in the Caribbean, and uh, uh, only a few days later is in Asia. And uh, we have uh, Fidelia Morales, uh, the story starting out with her in uh, uh, in the uh, in Europe, and uh, ending up also over in Asia. So the the movement and the flights and the uh, the cross border activity and so on, uh, to me, is all uh, just a fundamental part of, of how I write the stories, and I think um, is one of the components that gives it a little bit of the uh, a little bit of that extra intrigue. Because of course, a lot of readers haven't had an opportunity to visit some of those spots. Yeah, I think it adds a lot, and I think it's something that either even other writers have to go out and find out about when they're writing in a certain location. So they because because it has to sound fairly real, like the setting, you know, mm -hmm. and the research has to come across that way. Was it, was it a struggle with the COVID and writing that at the time um, in a book like this? Because like, when you're writing modern day times, how do you deal with something that's going on that there's no answer for? Well, I really gave it a lot of thought before I, I decided that I would introduce COVID because um, – I, I think I rightly anticipated that it was, A, going to take quite a bit of time to resolve. I, I recognized even back last April when I started writing that we weren't dealing with a 60-day or a 90-day phenomenon, that this is something that would go on for a year or two. And I expected that by the time I finished the story, uh, about the last thing that people would want to read about was the pandemic. Right. And uh, as a result, I didn't want it to become a focal point of the story. But I thought that also, because my stories also usually follow a timeline. And um, I thought that it would, it would be very unrealistic to tell a story that was taking place in 2020 without at least involving the pandemic to some extent. So what I tried to do was make references to the pandemic where I thought it was appropriate, but not let it become, uh, shall we say, a subplot or a, or a uh, 
a, a serious player in the story. Um, it's there. They're dealing with some of the issues related to it, but it's, it's in the background. And, and I think, I think I did that reasonably well. Yeah, you talk, yeah, and you also, you, you know, you're using, um, the idea of deceit and organized crime. Like, uh, now I think a lot of people think that organized crime left. It's not really like, you know, mafia and all that. It's all gone. Um, what, what's the effect of organized crime on business world? Well, I think that, um, of course, organized crime has, has not gone away. And I think, I think, um, although a lot of attention is not given to it, um, the impact that, that, uh, the organized elements have on the business world are, are very, very, very great uh, impacts. Um, I think, you know, I was reading an article the other day that, uh, talked about it, uh, and, and there's a little, little quote that I picked up that I'll, that I'll share with you. It, it, it says, mafias are not static structures. They evolve and mutate and increasingly resemble the rest of society. And I think that's a very good description of where organized crime is in the business world. Because it is today very difficult for even experts to ascertain what level of involvement criminal elements may or may not have. Uh, these folks have become so expert at uh, camouflaging at the same time as investors probably know less about companies and the people who make up the companies uh, than at any time in the past. Um, when we look at some of the things, the shenanigans that can go on in a stock market where literally billions of dollars can be made in, in just a few days by companies that are virtually unknown, you know that a lot of those investors have not probably given uh, 30 seconds thought to the people who are making up those companies and what characteristics and what values those people have that are going to be running that company. And I think this is very dangerous for both uh, both the, the, the stock markets, the world of finance, and our society generally because – the mafia fundamentally are a bunch of bullies who want to control. And uh, the, the greater that they are able to exert that control, I think the less comfortable it will become for society as a whole. Uh, um, a subtext or something, when, when someone picks up one of your books and reads it, takes it home, is there something you want them to take away from the book? Besides the story, well, you know, like like I think most fiction writers, I, I certainly want them to uh, first and foremost find it entertaining. That's that's my goal. Is when I sit down to write, is to 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 put pen to paper for a uh, a very entertaining story. But I think as a subtext in every book, you'll notice that I I do. 
uh, have uh, components that I hope people are going to think about a little bit, and organized crime is, is one of those. In the web of deceit, uh, I focus on technology and how sophisticated technology can really be disruptive to our stock markets and, and, and how they can, how technology can interfere with uh, smooth operating uh, companies around the globe. Um, in earlier books, I've dealt with the uh, human trafficking problem and uh, some of the, uh, of course, the involvement organized crime has with that, but also I've dealt with some of the, the negative consequences for for our society and so on. So I, I think in each of the books, I, I probably do have a little bit of subtext, um, and I'm hopeful that people will give it some thought. But um, in none of the stories, I think you would you would say I've, I've written so that those themes become dominant. I like them. I like them to be in the background while people are entertained with uh, what I hope they'll find a very suspenseful story. What advice would you give to a person who is either retired or nearing retirement to who wants to make uh, writing their next career? Well, I'm not sure that I would I would have some some uh, profound advice. Um, I, I I'll share a little bit of what I've learned from the experience, and um, one of the things that I have personally found very helpful is. Uh, involvement in a writing community. Um, like, I suppose, a lot of writers, when I started out, I thought of it as a very solitary activity. And when I wrote my, my first novel, I, I had no, uh, no particular support network other than the, the editors that, that I'd worked with and so on. Um, as I learned about a, a writing community in our area, I, I became a member and over the past few years have become very uh, enthralled with the organization, if you like. Uh, it's a great to have a, a network of contacts who are doing the same sort of thing, who are facing many of the same challenges, who are developing some of the same skills. And uh, I believe I belong to uh, a community called the uh, Writers Community of York Region. And uh, we, we have about 85 members and uh, uh, monthly, we have people come in and speak to us about their various components of writing. Uh, the the uh, session I attended last week was a uh, two-hour session devoted purely to point of view. And uh, we had a very good author and uh, coach uh, who is an uh, expert in the area of point of view who shared with the group uh, her observations and her learnings over the year. And those kinds of... Um, craft enhancements, um, I think, can really help individual writers to tell better stories more quickly. And uh, although I think all five of my books are, are very good stories, um, I think, like most writers, I think my fifth one is, from a craft perspective, of course, stronger than my first. And I'm hoping that the sixth will be even stronger again. So. If there is someone who wants to start writing, and, and I wouldn't reserve it only for people at age of retirement, I, I'd suggest that as early as possible, uh, connecting with a writer's community and benefiting from that kind of uh, from networking, networking and uh, expertise. 
Yeah, it's a pretty interesting uh, change in, in lifestyle when you do that. Um, did you ever look back at your first book and kind of reread it and think about wanting to change it? No, no, I, I do reread it. Um, I, I started um, after my third book. I, I realized uh, when I was out talking at some of these uh, promotional events, I realized that I was sometimes uh, starting to blend a little bit of the information from from uh, the first three, and I, I wanted to stop that right away. So by design, I, I do read each of my books um, again each year. So um, I try to keep, keep things very fresh and differentiated that way so that when we have this kind of a conversation, uh, I can talk comfortably about each of the books without fear of giving away too much information about one uh, when I go into the other and so on. But um, I think that uh, I think that uh, that's, that's, you know, a, a healthy way to look at it. Hmm. So, yeah, do you have a website or a place that you like people to come and find out about you? Absolutely. And uh, that's at uh, Gary D. McGugan Books. And it's all one, all one word. And uh, people just need to remember to put that initial D in between Gary and McGugan. So Gary D. McGugan Books. And uh, at that website, I have all of the books uh, featured. Uh, we have uh, lots of reviews uh, for each of the books uh, for people who'd like to check out what the more objective people are saying about the stories. And uh, also there's more information about me for people who are interested in learning more about my background and influences. And uh, I, I welcome anybody to attend, to, uh, to, uh, to visit uh, Gary D. McGookin Books. Great. Now, we'll have that up on our website, too, so people can find it, if, or if they forget, and they can just do one click. Um, very interesting. So, so what's next for Gary? Um, I'm working on uh, novel number six, and uh, it will be, again, a suspense thriller. And it will also include um, all three of these major characters, Suzanne, Howard, and Fidelia. Um, and uh, I think that uh, it will carry on from where we left off in, uh, in uh, A Web of Deceit. Uh, but it will take a very different direction, um, still very global in nature, um, obviously still in the period of the pandemic. But um, I think I think readers will find that uh, uh, again. I will tweak the the values of the characters to adapt to the changing plot and circumstances and incidents that they're going to encounter. And uh, I think that you know one thing I do like to point out is that um, although my stories run along a little bit of a time continuum, it's not necessary to read. Uh, the books in order. As a as a as a writer, of course, I'd be delighted if if everybody read from three weeks less a day all the way through. But um, if you choose to just try out one of the books, any one of the books, I think will give you a good idea of the story. And they they are all self-contained. But I do find ways of of continuing on and linking them to the predecessor um, as I'm as I'm creating the story. Well, is is this the first time you've done kind of a sequel, like where you have characters reoccur from one book to another, or have you done this before? 
Um, Suzanne Simpson has uh, appeared in four of the stories. Uh, Howard Knight has appeared in all five of the stories so far, and, and as a, he will in the sixth. Uh, Fidelia Morales has appeared um, in three of the stories and had a major role in only one. So uh, we have those, the, 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 there is some change in the major characters, but there is some continuity. And I like to also think about that a little bit like um, a corporate life, because if you look at a corporation over a five or a ten year period, uh, there will be some people who manage to survive and thrive and, and are there throughout that whole period. But you will have others that come and go, you know, for, for very, you know, various reasons and, and very, they're there for various time periods. So my stories are a little bit like that and a little reflection of the, of the, the corporate life, if you like, where we can still have a continuum, but not always with necessarily the same players in the same roles. Hmm. I guess that, how do you keep track of that? Like uh, what you've given away about a character in, in one book and then five books later, how do you make sure that you don't, you know, go off track or make a mistake or, or have to do something or if, or if a particular character might not fit a certain thing that you have them do? Well, my, my basic technique is to hope that I don't have a memory failure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I do not make copious notes. I do not keep track of of all of the small uh, intimate details. I know some writers do, and and uh, I remember watching a I was at an event once where uh, the Canadian author Terry Fallis was explaining how he outlines a story and. And it reminded me of a schematic for building an automobile. He had it so well organized and where every piece fit and so on. I don't have that. Um, so far, I do have the, I, a good memory. And, uh, I won't say that I have never made a mistake and, and, uh, dropped off. Uh, but so far, uh, my editors have been able to catch those occasional lapses, and uh, we fix them before we get to uh, before we get to uh, publication. And and I'm hoping that the memory holds out. <laughs> well, we can only hope, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> it goes. I mean, it's uh, wow. You've done it all. I mean, you worked at a supermarket. You've done everything. Um, boy. Um, writer, everything. And, and for people in the, uh, Toronto area, if you see, uh, a man walking around talking to himself and <laughs> don't, don't be surprised if it's, uh, not, uh, Gary, you know, cause you don't want to, but don't, you know, don't, don't call the cops on him right away, you know. <laughs> not right away. Not right away. Give him some time. <laughs> Well, it's certainly been an interesting uh, time, and I'm glad you came on. And, uh, you know, hopefully things keep going well for you, you know, and it uh, sounds like it. Um, uh, the book we're talking about is A Web of Seat, and we've been talking to its author about writing and how he got into it. So uh, thank you for being here, Gary. Well, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it, and it's been a real pleasure speaking with both of you. Thanks, Gary. 
To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll tell you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.